Uh, we have made it to our very last message in our study of the book, and our passage tonight is uh, the epilogue or the conclusion of Galatians. Um, and like any good ending does, in our passage, Paul summarizes the big picture, uh, big picture message of the book, and he really hammers home what he wants us to take away. And so our passage is kind of like the exclamation mark on this letter to the Galatians. Um, and so if you're new, I know, yeah, a couple of you guys are new. Uh, you've joined us somewhere in the middle of our book. Uh, you picked a good week because hopefully by the end of our message, you'll be able to get a good picture of what this letter is about. Uh, and if you have been with us, then hopefully it'll be just super clear reminder of the main thing that Paul wants us to remember from this book. Um, if you look in our passage, we're going to be in verses 11 to 18. Uh, in fact, if you look in our passage, it's like Paul wants to make that super obvious for us. Um, most likely up to this point, there was this scribe or a secretary who was the one who was writing Paul's words down as he spoke them out loud. And we know that because if you look in verse 11, Paul takes the pen himself and he says in verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. He says something, something similar in 2 Thessalonians 3.17. And so him doing that it's as if he's saying, this is important. What I'm about to tell you is personal. Uh, it's so important that I want you to hear this straight from me. Uh, it's the equivalent of someone texting you in all caps. Right? And if you get a message like that, you know that it's serious. Uh, Paul is saying, if there's one thing that I want you to remember, it is what I'm about to say. If there's one thing I want you to boast in, as he says in our passage, it's this. So let's read our passage. It's Galatians 6. Verses 11 to 18, and then I'll pray. Starting in verse 11. Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are persecuted do not themselves keep the law, but the desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just the privilege that we get to meet tonight and to open your word. And I pray now as we um, close our study in Galatians, as we look in this particular passage um, where, where Paul teaches us that we should boast in the cross alone, um, I pray that we would really understand that statement, um, what it means for our lives, and that you would help us to do that, or that it is uh, that is such a loaded um, statement that is such a, a difficult um, claim to make uh, when we really understand all that is in that idea, Lord. And so I pray that you would teach that to us tonight uh, and you would help us truly to boast in the cross alone, uh, like Paul does in this passage. God, we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start by just having you consider uh, this question with me. I think it's an obvious kind of natural follow-up question to what we just read. Um, but the question is this, what do you boast in? Right, what do you boast in? 
Uh, maybe I can ask it another way. What do you take pride in? What do you want to define who you are? When you think about your conversations that you have with people, what are the things that you say most often about yourself? Now, what does it mean to boast? Let's talk about that before you kind of think about these things in your head. What does it mean to boast in something? And the way that we use uh, this word boast nowadays is we think of bragging, right? We think of um, talking with excessive pride about something, often yourself, uh, maybe even to trash talk someone. Um, for us, when we think of someone who is boastful, uh, we think that they you know, talk about themselves a little bit too much, right? They have too high a view of themselves. And so there's this like negative connotation to the way that we use the word boasting. Um, and so for you, maybe you think like, oh, I, I try to avoid you know, obvious displays of boasting. Um, or you, you have this sort of false humility where you downplay you know, your accomplishments, where you avoid making yourself the center of attention. Uh, or you're turned off by people you know, who are just too full of themselves. Maybe that's com what's come to, uh, what comes to mind for you when you think of boasting. Uh, but a, a more foundational definition of what it means to boast, and actually how this passage is talking about it, how the Bible talks about it, is it's simply to rejoice in. It's to exult in. It is to glory in. Um, to boast is to revel in something, to trust in something, uh, even to live for something. And so when you think of the word boast in that way, we realize that we all boast in something, right? Whether it's your accomplishments, whether it's your abilities, uh, your relationships, the people you know, the number of people in your family. Maybe you boast in the possessions that you have, the brands of clothing that you wear, uh, your future plans and the life experiences and the cool places that you traveled. For some of you, you boast uh, in something from your past that still in part like defines who you are today. Or for others of you, you boast or you imagine a day in the future where you hopefully will be able to look back on your life and you can boast about what you have, whether it's like a new car or a house or uh, just like certain life milestones you've achieved, a uh, family, a spouse. If you're on social media, think about the things that you post about and that you broadcast about yourself to others. What do you boast in? Now, whatever it is, it's true that all of us find certain things valuable, right? We find things beautiful or, or worthy of celebrating and expressing our delight about. And boasting is simply just how we communicate what those things are. Boasting is how we announce what is important to us and the things that we find identity in. Boasting is this natural overflow uh, of those things that are in our hearts. I don't know if this is just my own experience, but I remember uh, there was this like phase in middle school, maybe even kind of into high school, where people, boys and girls, were starting to like each other for the first time, like romantically. And for like whatever reason, because they were too shy or they're too embarrassed to let other people know, uh, you know, they had a boyfriend or girlfriend, they just like keep it totally secret. Right? And uh, they'd be like boyfriend and girlfriend on AIM. You guys know what AIM is. Um, but they'd be like strangers in public at school. Right? And it's just like this secret relationship. And hopefully that's like just the middle school thing. Uh, but if you had like two people dating for a while, and, and the guy, for example, like supposedly really likes this girl, but he never introduces her to his friends, never talks about her, never boasts about her, then you would seriously doubt whether she's really that important to him. Right? And so our, our propensity as human beings to boast really goes back to how God created us. 
If you look in other passages in the Bible, Psalm 34.1, Revelation 19.7, it shows us that we were made to rejoice, um, to exalt, and to boast in the Lord. Uh, even passages like Jeremiah 9, 23-24, uh, it's, that same passage is referenced elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 1. In those passages, the command is not to stop boasting, but to boast in the right thing instead. Uh, he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the mighty man in his might, or the rich man in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me, uh, knows God. And so again, I want you to think back to what are some of the things that came to mind when I asked you our original question? What do you boast in? What are those things that you find important? Well, our passage tonight forces us to consider that question uh, because it shows us that if you are a Christian, that there is something that is absolutely countercultural, something that is categorically different and upside down, something distinct about what you boast in as a Christian versus what the world boasts in. And so uh, let's, let's talk about the Judaizers at first. Uh, this is the heading there, superficiality of the Judaizers boasting. Um, if you guys don't remember the context of Galatians, I know I've explained this many times already, but just to review again, there were some false teachers uh, known as the Judaizers who had come into the Galatian churches. They were teaching this false gospel of Jesus plus Judaism. And they said that if you really wanted to become part of the people of God, you not only had to trust in Jesus, but you also had to abide by the law. And Paul talks about that in our passage in verse 12. Right? He says, those who would force you to be circumcised. And so they said, you have to not only trust in Jesus, but you have to get circumcised. You have to obey the law. You have to become Jewish. And so Paul writes to these believers who are primarily Gentiles um, because these people were in danger of buying into this false teaching. They were in danger of drifting from the gospel into this works-based legalism. And Paul very passionately, very emphatically says that this Jesus plus something gospel is no gospel at all. To try to add anything to the gospel is to try to add something on top of the perfect, finished, all-sufficient work of Jesus for righteousness. Now, hopefully from our time in Galatians, you remember some of the ways that Paul specifically like, responds or refutes their claims. He goes back to the Old Testament. He talks about his apostolic authority. Um, he explains the one and only true gospel. Uh, well, here in our passage, as we close the book, Paul moves beyond just responding to the message of the Judaizers, and he moves to their motives. He talks about why they were doing what they were doing. Uh, look at verse 12 again. He says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That phrase there in verse 12, to make a good showing in the flesh, I think that's a helpful summary statement. Uh, you can translate it as uh, to have a good face. So basically, they wanted to look good, right? They wanted to appear impressive in the eyes of others. Now, just, just pause and like think about that for a second. And that's, that's scary to realize, right? What drove the Judaizers to preach and to mislead people with their false gospel was not primarily a matter of biblical misinterpretation. It was not mainly because they, like, they themselves fell into this deceptive heresy. 
No, it was born out of this powerful, all-consuming desire to make a good showing in the flesh. They wanted to look good in front of others. And maybe you can relate to that. Uh, like, Think about the lengths that you will go or that maybe you have gone in the past to just gain the approval and the applause of others. And perhaps it's something small, like you just change the way that you dress or the way that you speak or you present yourself a certain way. Or perhaps it was something very significant, right? You like compromised your convictions or you even sacrificed relationships that you had. Well, for the Judaizers, this manifested itself in a couple different ways. Uh, In verse 13, Paul says that they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So what does he mean there in verse 13? Uh, Recently, there was a a really really well-known pastor who kind of received some criticism, some backlash, because at this like large denominational convention, he gave this address in which he claimed that over his like decades uh, of ministry, that his church had baptized tens of thousands of new believers, uh, his, that they had sent like tens of thousands of uh, missionaries to hundreds of nations. They had like this many people join their church. Uh, and, and the part that like really irked people was he said that he had trained over a million pastors Uh, more than all of our seminaries put together. So he made these like really big claims. And uh, just to be clear, I'm not equating this guy with like the Judaizers of Paul's day. But I think that's kind of what verse 13 is talking about. The Judaizers wanted to be able to claim this many circumcised Gentiles to their own credit. They wanted to be able to point to their body of work and say, hey, look at what I've done. Like, look at how godly I am. Look at the notches on my belt or the trophies on my trophy case. Look at how devoted and impressive I am. And they wanted to to do all of that for the praise and the approval of men. Well, there's another side to to this coin, right, so to speak. And maybe you've experienced this. If you live for the approval of others, when people praise you, it might feel like the best thing in the world. You are just so happy when you get the praises of others. But when those same people criticize you, when they turn against you, then it feels like the worst thing in the world. And why is that? Well, it's because you are functionally being controlled by others. People have become your God. Their opinion of you has become the truth that governs your world. Your identity has become so based on what others think about you. And that's what we see here. These Judaizers, they wanted to achieve the praise of others, but they also wanted to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ. That's what verse 12 says. Uh, The ones who were doing the persecuting here were probably the Jews, um, and they would have been upset that in this new, like, Christianity movement that you had those of Jewish background and Gentile background, uh, mostly Galatian church, intermingling, right? And so that would have uh, upset the Jews, and they wanted to put an end to it. And so the Judaizers, they respond by uh, rather than hold fast to the gospel, right, rather than stand firm on the gospel, which welcomes both Jew and Gentile, they compromised. And they thought to themselves, well, maybe there's like a middle way. There's like a safer way, a more diplomatic way that we can do this. And so out of fear of persecution, they reasoned that why don't we force the Gentiles to undergo circumcision, right, this Old, Old Testament ritual. Uh, basically, let's make them more Jewish, and maybe we can appease these Jews and help them, we can get on their good side, right? And they'll think, oh, like, we're not so different after all. Well, what's even worse is that Paul, in verse 13, he calls out their hypocrisy. He says, you guys are totally inconsistent. 
It says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Um, as Seichi mentioned last week, these Judaizers, they were heaping these burdens on the backs of these Gentile Christians, um, the law, circumcision, certain rituals, dietary restrictions, and they were doing all these things and heaping all these burdens that they themselves could not bear. They were just putting on a show. Right? This was just this external display of false religion. And I know this specific situation going on in Galatia might seem like really distant you know, from our world. It might not seem like it speaks into your own struggles at first. But as you're hearing me explain all of this, are you being, beginning to see how this speaks to us? This all-consuming desire for the approval and the applause of others to the point that it's like actually controlling you. Right? It just determines everything that you do. This fear of man that leads to compromise this hypocrisy, this insecurity, uh, maybe even feeling like an imposter because the very standards that you hold others to, you realize deep down that you can't keep yourself. And so you you just have to put on this show. It's all a facade just on the outside. So what do you boast in? That's our first point. Um, Number two is boast only in the cross. If you haven't realized it already, there is this stark contrast in our passage, between the Judaizers' superficial boasting and Paul's boasting. There is this this difference, this contrast between the Judaizers' concern for the Galatians and Paul's concern for the Galatians. And we see that starting in verse 14. Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now there's a couple things I want you to notice here about Paul's boasting. Um, First is the singularity of Paul's boasting. The singularity of Paul's boasting. That phrase there, far be it from me, that is emphatic. Um, It's the same language that Paul uses in Romans 6, verses 1 to 2, where he's answering this question or this objection. um, Do we just continue in sin that grace may abound? And, And Paul, in response to that question, he says, by no means. It's the same phrase, by no means. May it never be, God forbid, right? far be it from me. May I never, ever, ever boast in anything except the cross. This singular boast in the cross and in the cross alone. I don't know about you, but uh, personally, I really don't like those, like, tell us something interesting about yourself, um, icebreaker questions. Uh, mostly because I feel like I'm just... I'm not interesting. <laughs> like, I'm a pretty boring person. Um, yeah, Nick, like, forced me to answer three of them earlier this week for Mount Hermon. But, uh, so what ends up happening is, I, like, I have to recycle the same few things every single time someone asks me. And some of those things are, like, way back in high school. So, like, I'm way past high school now, but I keep talking about high school whenever someone asks me, like, what's interesting about yourself. And then, of course, right, there are those people who are really interesting, and like every time they answer that question, you learn something new about them. And it's like, oh, I didn't know this about you. Like, you're so cool. Um, well, when Paul says that I want to boast in the cross alone, it's not because he has this shortage of things to boast about. If you don't know anything about Paul, it was actually quite the opposite. There were many, many, many things that he could have boasted in. Like if he wanted to play the number of conversions game, uh, like the Judaizers did, he could have played that game. Right? He could have won easily. There's countless number of Gentiles 
converted under his ministry. Uh, some even in very important positions of authority. At the end of Philippians, he talks about uh, those in Caesar's household, right, who had come to the faith under his ministry. Uh, he could have boasted in the number of churches that he planted, the number of missionary journeys he completed. He could have uh, boasted in his, in his own apostolic authority that Jesus himself appeared to him and revealed himself to him. Uh, in Philippians 3, this is a pretty famous passage, Paul actually says something along those lines. He says, if you want to compare reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more, right? I have more reasons for confidence in the flesh than you do. If you want to play that game, I can play it and win. And he lists his spiritual resume in that passage. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as through the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But both there in Philippians 3 and here in Galatians 6, Paul's conclusion is the same. In fact, here in our passage, he takes himself, he takes his qualifications out of the picture entirely. Like he doesn't even mention them at all. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beacon, I know that there are a lot of things that many of you here can boast in. And many of you are intelligent, you are uh, well accomplished, you are capable, um, you are popular, you are well liked by your friends. And not only that, but you are here right now on a Friday night and you are at Beacon and you are listening to a sermon from God's word. It's a choice that you made to be here. And so I recognize that for many of you, Jesus is important to you. The cross is important to you. He is no small part of your life. But what does Paul say here? He says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, singular. Right? So it's not just that like Jesus and the cross are the biggest thing among like all these other things that are smaller, a little bit smaller in your life. He says the cross is the one thing. The one thing only. Like everything else is not even worth mentioning. That is how insignificant they are to boasting in the cross. And that's why he says that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And the world here isn't talking about the literal world that we live in, but rather the old way of life. He's talking about the world and its system of values and thinking. That all of these other things that you boast in, all of these other things that you find valuable all of these other places where you derive your identity, they are all a part of the world. And Paul says, those things have died. That when you died, when Christ died, you died with him and this old way of life has passed away. Paul is saying here, the world has nothing for me and Christ is everything to me. Now, it's not just that Paul himself had a lot of different things that he could have boasted in, but when you think about it, there is also a lot of different aspects of Christianity that could have singled out. Right? You could have mentioned you know, Jesus' incarnation, uh, his virgin birth, his miraculous power and healings, even his resurrection from the dead. And yet, for some odd reason, Paul chooses the cross specifically. And so this leads us to our second thing about verse 14, which is the strangeness of Paul's boast. And we have to realize that what comes to mind for us and we think of the cross, 
is very, very different than what would have come to mind for those in Paul's day. I mean, what does the cross mean for us, you know, in our day and age? It's generally understood as just the representative symbol for Christianity, right? In the same way that the Star of David is for Judaism, or the Crescent and the Star is for Islam, um, or the yin, yin and Yang was for Taoism, right? Like, you remember those, like, coexist bumper stickers and just the different symbols? Like, a cross is just one of them, right? That's how people look at it. Um, it's not strange to see the symbol of the cross all around, um, on tops of churches. We have one on our wall here in our sanctuary, even on people's bodies as necklaces or as tattoos. Um, in our circles, right, our church circles, the word cross-centered is like a really popular word nowadays. Right? It's like buzzword, whether we're talking about the songs that we sing, to the sermons that we listen to, to the kind of churches that we should be looking for. Well, if anyone in Paul's day were to see all of that and to hear all of that, they would be shocked. They would be confused and appalled. Why? Because the cross was a symbol of shame. It was not something to boast in. You don't talk about the cross. The worst, the most vile criminals were put to death on a cross. So why would you talk about, why would you boast in something so gruesome and so bloody? Maybe you've heard before, uh, maybe you've heard it said before that like wearing a cross necklace would almost be like wearing a symbol of death. So it'd be the same as like wearing an electric chair or wearing like a lethal syringe or just like um, a noose or something like that. And it's true, right? It's like it, all of those things are instruments of death. But I think even, even then, it still doesn't fully capture everything. Because unlike the electric chair, unlike the lethal syringe, for example, the cross did not seek to execute a criminal quickly and painlessly as possible, but actually quite the opposite. The cross was a slow and a painful and a torturous death. When you think about those people on death row today who who go to execution, there's still this attempt to preserve the person's dignity, right? to give them a proper burial. But with the crucifixion, part of the goal was humiliation, to make an example of this person, to expose them for all to see. They were naked and hung to die. The Roman uh, politician Cicero once described crucifixion in this way. He said, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him, almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. In fact, the horror and the scandal of the cross was so unspeakable that people would use euphemisms to describe it. They would say it's to hang on an unlucky tree. The strangeness of Paul's boast is not just the cross itself, right? It's not just like this instrument of death. It's not just the act of crucifixion. It's that the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, died on the cross. And so what makes it even more strange is why would you worship this supposed God who was crucified on a cross? That is absolutely ridiculous. It is absurd. That doesn't make any sense. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, that the message of Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. I mean, specifically for the Jews, and we saw this back in Galatians 3, crucifixion wasn't just this like Roman form of execution, but it actually meant that you were cursed by God. Because in the Old Testament, it said that cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. What about for the Gentiles? Well, there was this artifact, um, 
It's called the Alexa Menos Graffito, uh, graffito as in graffiti. Uh, and it's the earliest known depiction of the crucifixion. It's, uh, it's literally this like really rough sketch that someone made on this plaster wall in Rome. And in this picture, there's this man uh, just standing before a cross, someone being crucified on a cross with his arm ra- arms raised in, in worship and reverence. And what makes this picture so notable is that this man on a cross has the head of a donkey. Right? And Alexa Menos, under that picture, it says, Alexa Menos worships his God. And that's meant to be an insult. Right? That the idea that Christians worshipped a crucified Messiah was in their minds no different than worshipping a donkey. And for us, like we think about that picture nowadays, right? and we say, like, that's kind of sacrilegious, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what they would say about Jesus on the cross. Right? This, this God crucified on the cross. So I hope you're getting the picture. It's hard to fully capture in words and with modern-day examples. But if all, of, if, if all of this is what came to mind for Paul and for his readers when he spoke of boasting in the cross alone, then why is this something worth taking pride in? Why is this something worth boasting in? Like, How does this scandalous symbol of death and shame become the singular defining boast for Paul and for us? Three reasons I want to give you. One is it tells us the whole truth about ourselves. It tells us the whole truth about ourselves. When you think about the things that you boast in, and this kind of goes back to the singularity of Paul's boast, I mean, realize that those things that you boast in are selective, right? You don't boast in every part of your life. You don't boast in everything in your life. You boast in the things that you think will add value to yourself. For example, you probably don't boast about how you failed your exam or that you came in last place, um, or that you don't, haven't figured out your, you know, that you don't, you're unemployed after you graduate. You don't boast in those things. We avoid broadcasting those things to others. We highlight the good parts of ourselves, and we minimize the bad parts. And that's what we saw with the Judaizers, isn't it? Isn't it? That they are selective in what they choose to say about themselves. I mean, even for ourselves, we, we choose what we, how we describe ourselves. Right? The things that you say about yourself when you introduce yourself, are only a small part of who you are. And especially in college, if you're a college student, like those things are constantly changing. Right? For now, you're a student who goes to this school, but that's going to change you know, in just a few years. The truth, but, but so we only, we boast in those things that are selective, those things that we think add value to ourself. But the cross is different. The cross tells us the whole truth about ourselves. And the fact that Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, had to experience the brutality, the shame, the suffering of the cross gives us this clear picture of our sin. It shows us how bad our sin really is, that they're not just small mistakes that we make. They're not just like slip ups, but they are cosmic acts of treason against the holy God. The cross shows us that the only possible way that we could be saved from the punishment that we deserve, the only way we could be restored into relationship with God was for him to give up his only perfect, innocent son. John Stott put it like this. He said, every time we look at the cross, Christ is saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin that I am bearing. It is your curse that I am suffering. It is your debt that I am paying, your death that I am dying. I mean, that humbles us, doesn't it? Like we see our sin clearly. The cross cuts us down to our knees. There's no room for pride 
at the cross. There's no room for boasting in ourselves. You cannot look at the cross and think, oh, we're, you know, we're not that bad. We're pretty good people. But I said the cross tells us the whole truth about ourselves. Because while it does tell us how bad we really are, at the very same time, the cross, which shows us the seriousness of our sin, it also shows us the love and the mercy of our Savior. Romans 5, it says that God demonstrates his love for us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so it shows us that we are loved by God. How much did God love us? Well, so much that he would give up his own son to die on the cross for you. If you want to know that God loves you, look at the cross. And realize this goes beyond just the beginning of the Christian life, right? This goes way past conversion. In seasons of trials and suffering, when life is not turning out the way that you thought it would, when it seems like circumstances are stacked against you, like God is out to get you, you need to be assured, you need to be reminded that God loves you. You need to have this rock-solid, unshakable conviction that the message of the cross preaches to you over and over and over again that you were more sinful and flawed than you ever thought you were, but you were more accepted, you were more loved than you ever imagined. That is the whole truth that God at the cross teaches, uh, preaches to you. Second, it reminds us of our dependence on grace. Uh, verse 15, Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And so remember the temptation for the Gentile believer or the Galatian believers was to think that their Christian life, it started by trusting in the gospel, right? By trusting the gospel of grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. But that they had to continue by contributing their own works. They had to add the law. They had to add circumcision or just follow the rules, And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's how you think about the Christian life. Like you feel the pressure to keep growing or maybe a more accurate word, you feel the pressure to keep improving. You feel like as a Christian, you just keep leveling up. And so you just add more and more things on your plate, more and more things on your to-do list. Or you feel discouraged that your life doesn't seem to match up with those around you. Like you keep struggling with the same sin over and over again. It doesn't seem like it's getting any better. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but the common theme in verses 15 and 16 is newness, a newness. The the reason why neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, as Paul says, is because the gospel is is not about what you do for God on the outside, but it's about what God has done in you on the inside. Over and over again throughout Scripture, um, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 2.20, whenever Paul talks about a new creation, he always links it to the cross. He always links it to the Son of God giving himself up for you. And so the cross reminds us that we could never save ourselves. We could never improve ourselves. The only possibility for real, genuine, lasting change, the only way that fruit can produce in our lives uh, was for us to first die with Christ and to be raised with him as a new creation. That's the only way that we change in the Christian life. You don't make yourself new. You don't improve, right, to become a better version of yourself. You already are a new creation. You live out of that identity. And and all of that is by grace, right, as the Spirit works in us. 
as Paul says elsewhere in Galatians, that happens as we walk by faith, right? Working through love. And so that's how we need to think about the Christian life. And that's what Paul says in verse 16. That word rule there is a play on the Judaizers' obsession with the law, right? All throughout Galatians, he's been talking about the law, the law, follow the law. And, and Paul says here in verse 16, if you want a law, if you want a rule, then this is the rule. The rule is that you are a new creation, right? That you are constantly dependent on grace. You are going back to the gospel to remind yourself of who you are each and every day in your best moments and in your worst moments. And lastly, it compels us to live a cross-shaped life. Compels us to live a cross-shaped life. So the cross doesn't just shape the way that we think. It doesn't just shape the things that we boast about, but also it shapes how we live. Um, Verse 17 says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Um, verse, verse 17 sounds kind of funny when you read it because it, like, it almost seems like Paul's just like, uh, at the end of this letter, right, like, just, okay, stop bothering me. You know, like, I've gone through enough already. Just, just stop it, right? Don't get circumcised kind of thing. And maybe it's, maybe it's like that a little bit. Um, but I want, what I do want you to notice is, again, there is this stark contrast between Paul and the Judaizers. So in verse 16, we just talked about how he made this play on words with rule, right? That word rule and the law that the Judaizers have been like really hammering. Well, he does it again here when he talks about bearing the marks of Jesus on his body. The Judaizers taught the mark of true religion, so to speak, right? Was what? It was circumcision. They said, if you want to follow Jesus, get circumcised. That's the mark of true religion. What does Paul say? He says, it's not circumcision, but it's suffering, right? Suffering. Not in the sense that suffering saves you, but because boasting in the cross compels us to live a cross-shaped life, which includes suffering. Boasting in the cross, which is so strange and scandalous and absurd to the world, invites suffering. Boasting in the cross, which tells us the honest truth about ourselves before the holy God, it will not win the world's favor, but it will invite persecution. I mean, Jesus himself said it in the Gospels. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Paul says something similar in our passage in verse 14. He says, it's not just that the world has been crucified to you, but also you have been crucified to the world. In other words, the world looks at your new life in Christ. If you're a Christian, the world looks at you and says, you are dead to me. I don't, like, you're dead. You're nothing now. And dead means this like decisive break, right? This decisive separation. And yet for many of us, I think often we try so hard still to be approved by the world, right? We're like, oh, let's just like keep this going on a little bit, right? Maybe we can just keep in touch. We can still have this relationship going on. But Paul says, you're dead to the world. You've been crucified to the world and the world to you. And so a cross-shaped life means that the cross redefines what we aspire to. It redefines the things that we admire, it redefines the way that we talk about ourselves, uh, the lengths that we willingly go to serve others. It teaches us that the way up is down, that those who exalt themselves will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The cross-shaped life teaches us that we boast not in our strength, but in weakness, because it's in our weakness that God's power is magnified and proven to be sufficient. 
A cross-shaped life means that you are willing to lose your life in order to save it. And here's another thing about the marks of Jesus on Paul's body. Not only are they a contrast to this, the circumcision that uh, the Judaizers um, are trying to force these Gentiles to do, but scars tell a story. Right? And the contrast here isn't just between, uh, like I said, Paul's scars from suffering versus from circumcision, but also Paul's courage and his willingness to suffer versus the Judaizers' cowardice and their unwillingness to suffer. When you look at that contrast, right, these Judaizers who are like afraid of you know, being persecuted for what they believe in, and Paul who is willing to bear the marks of Jesus on his body, when you look at that contrast, whose message are you more inclined to believe? When you suffer for the sake of Christ, your scars add a depth to your boasting. Living the cross-shaped life and all of its hardships helps us to boast better. Why? Because it drives us to this deeper understanding of the cross for ourselves. And it helps us boast better because it shows that the world, it shows the world that truly, right, truly the cross is the only thing worth boasting about. Not just from our mouths, but with our very lives. We are willing to suffer for the cross. Let me close by just bringing us back to the original question I asked you at the beginning. What do you boast in? I mean, I think the point of this passage is pretty clear. Uh, Paul says, boast only in the cross. Right? That's the main takeaway. That's how Paul wants to close Galatians. Boast only in the cross. As a Christian, there is one thing and one thing that ought to define you, and it's Jesus Christ crucified. And that'll be strange to the world. People will mock you. It won't make sense to them. They'll think you were foolish and unimpressive. They will look down on you. They will even persecute you. But for us, this is our life. This is our hope, our joy. The symbol of shame and death has become something beautiful. Our life, our hope, our boast. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that uh, we would be people who boast only in the cross. We confess that uh, we don't think about this enough or just the, the scandalous nature, the shame um, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, endured for us. Uh, we are too busy trying to earn the world's applause, people's approval. We want to look impressive in the eyes of others. We want to be well-liked. And we don't spend enough time just meditating on the cross and how the cross completely changes everything, that it turns everything upside down. And Father, we want to repent, we confess that we've boasted in the wrong things, and uh, we ask for your help that we would boast in Jesus Christ alone. So Father, I, yeah, I, I think about the people in this room and the many things that they have going on in their lives, the many things that uh, they can talk about, um, the things that they can identify with. Uh, but I pray, Father, that you would make us people who are uh, just of a singular passion, a singular boast. That we'd be people, uh, when, when others look at our lives, they would see Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so do that, Lord, in our hearts through the preaching of your word that we just heard. We thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.